The Bible's open to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We are beginning a brand new series that we've entitled Rooted in Christ's Love and Grounded for the Christian Life. Rooted in Christ's Love and Grounded for the Christian Life. And so this verse or this series comes out of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17. Ephesians 3.17 is the thesis statement of the book of Ephesians. Remember back when you were in school and you were in English, and I know this has taken a lot of us to a very, very dark place in our mind and our lives, but venture back there with me for just a moment and remember what our English teacher taught us, that any time you write, you need to have a thesis statement. You have to have that sentence that, that brings it all together, that to tell you what, or to tell the reader what it is, that the, the, the main point of what you're writing. Well, when Paul writes so often, you know, when we're taught in English to write the thesis statement, it's found in the first paragraph, the first introductory paragraph. But in the Greek mind, in the Roman mind, in in Paul's mind, the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, uh, the thesis statement can happen anywhere in the letter. And so through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we actually find the thesis, the, the main point of the book of Ephesians is found right smack dab in the middle. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17, it talks about being rooted and grounded, rooted in Christ's love and grounded for the Christian life. And what we find in the book of Ephesians, it's so amazing. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, are all about being rooted in the love of Christ. It's talking about the the, the love of Christ and how Christ has loved us over and over and over again and how we are to be rooted in that. And then beginning in chapter 4, chapter 4, 5, and 6, it's all about how to be grounded in the Christian life, how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a worker, how to be a child. And so all of these things about the Christian life, how to walk in unity with with our brothers and sisters in our church, and all of this is found in chapters 4, 5, and 6, the armor of God, and all of this we find in the book of Ephesians. And so the first three chapters are all about being rooted in Christ's love. The last three chapters are all about being grounded in the Christian life. The neat thing about what we find in Ephesians 3.17, when it says be rooted and grounded, the interesting thing is that in the Greek, the word grounded means that it has to be tied to the word rooted. And when we get to Ephesians 3.17, we'll, we'll talk about what that looks like and what that means. But the important thing for us to understand right now is this, that if we miss Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, if we miss the Christian life or we miss Christ's love, we cannot live then the Christian life. If we're not rooted in the love of Christ, we cannot be grounded in the Christian life. And that's what he's saying in Ephesians 3, 17. So what's vital, the, the, the practical, the practicality of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 must be understood in light of Ephesians 1, two, and three. So please stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll be looking at just a few verses here today. Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, obviously the writer of this book is Paul, the apostle. He's writing this from jail and he's writing this to the church in Ephesus. Those that are faithful in Christ Jesus, verse two, grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3 begins uh, a, a, a doxology, a, a song. He breaks out in song, and, and he, in, in the Greek, there are no punctuations in this verse. Actually, from verse 3 all the way through verse 14 is one solid sentence. And so if you're an English professor or English teacher here, you say, that's a run-on sentence, that's not right. But listen, English teacher, listen to me. It's in God's Word, so that means it is right. Amen? Amen. So he begins to share, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That period is not there in the Greek. It goes on. He keeps going. He says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. He goes on, but we'll stop there for today. Father, we thank you for your word, which brings truth and life to us. And Father, in this great in this great message that, that Paul delivers to the church in Ephesus, Father, as it talks about the love of Christ, Lord, may you speak to us here today. May we experience uh, part of, of what you would have us to understand here today. Father, we, we want to draw closer to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I, ent- I originally entitled this message, The Seven Wonders of Life. The Seven Wonders of Life. But as I wrote this, I realized that if I preached to you all of the seven wonders of life that we find in this verse, we would be here for two hours. So we, we cut some of them out and we'll come back to them next week. But, but today we're just going to be looking at a handful of the wonders of life. All of the things that God has given to us, uh, he, he, he shares with us right here in Ephesians chapter 1, the wonders of it all. First thing that he shares with us, the first affirmation that we get, number one, is that we are blessed in Christ. We are blessed in Christ. We see this in verse 3. It says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places with Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Now, I know this. I don't know your walk of life. I don't know where you are, but I do know this. If you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, I know that this statement is true in your life. No matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself in your spiritual journey, your spiritual walk, whether you're walking in his will or not, you are blessed. He has given you spiritual blessings, and we know this to be true. This is this this phrase is the key to this doxology. This phrase right here is the launching pad from where everything else finds its meaning. This is the key to the entire passage. Now, if you've ever read through the book of Ephesians, you're going to find a prepositional phrase that, that's found over and over and over again. In my study Bible at home, not my preaching Bible, but my study Bible, I, I took a, a, a pen and I circled every time in the book of Ephesians when we find the prepositional phrase, in him or in Christ, or in Jesus Christ. That prepositional phrase is found throughout, especially in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ephesians. Why is that? Because it's all about Christ's love. We don't stand before holy God and say, look at what I have done in my own merit. Look at what I have done in my own life. Remember what we said. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is not about my life. It's about his love, and it's all about him. It's all about being in Jesus or in Christ. And so what he says here in verse 3 is that in Christ, we have an exalted position because we're with Christ in the heavenlies. 
and we experience his wealth, his riches in our lives here and now in the heavenlies. You say, well, pastor, that, that's, that's all well and good, but tell me something that's real. I mean, when I leave this place, I got to get back in the real world. I, I got to go to, to work tomorrow. I, I got to go to school tomorrow. I, 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 I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for the things that we have in the heavenlies, but, but what can I sink my teeth into here? What, what's going to help me tomorrow when, when I go into uh, my job, when I have to meet these deadlines, when I have these responsibilities with my, my family? What is it that I can sink my teeth into? You're talking about those things out there in the heavenlies. Talk to me about something that's real. Well, Christian, I don't know anything more real than the spiritual blessings than we have in Jesus Christ. These things are real. And just because you can't see them, and just because we cannot understand them, doesn't mean they're not real. I mean, I don't understand how a black cow can eat green grass and produce white milk. I don't understand how that happens. But just because I don't understand how it happens doesn't mean that I drink milk every day. It happens. I don't know how it happens, but it happens. Just because I don't understand something shouldn't cause me to doubt it. Far more important than a cow producing milk is our spiritual realities in Christ. They're they're available, abundantly available, and given to us by Him. The Bible calls these our riches in Christ, our riches in Christ. Have you ever noticed in the Christian life, I'm guilty of this too, but have you ever noticed that in your own Christian walk that oftentimes we pray for things that we've already got? When we, when we already have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, we say, Lord, give me love. And he's already filled us with the fruit of the spirit of love. We say, God, help me to love my neighbor. Well, you've already been given that. We say, God, give me peace. When the Bible says that he is the prince of peace and he lives inside of us and we already have peace. We say, give me wisdom. And and he says, I've already given you wisdom. We have all of these things. What we as believers need to do is to be able to, we need to learn how to take our spiritual ATM card and stick it in the machine and withdraw. It's all right there. Don't live beneath your potential. And so many Christians, so many followers of Christ do. You live beneath your potential. You, you, you live underneath your privilege. The Bible says here in Ephesians 1, 3, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What you need to live the Christian life, he has given to you. What you need to be able to take on this life, he has already blessed you with. He's given it to you. It is in there somewhere. It is in there. And our job, our responsibility through going to church, through reading the scripture, through hiding the word in our heart, uh, through praying, through, through witnessing, through all of these things, that is seeing these blessings that he's placed in our heart come into life. That's taking the ATM card and withdrawing. You see, God has given to us all of these blessings, but it is up to us to act upon them. You're blessed. The Bible says you have life with a capital L in Christ. You're abundantly blessed. But not only do we see that we're blessed in Christ, but number two, we're chosen in Christ. 
I hope your Bibles are still open. I hope that you bring your Bibles to church, especially as we walk through this book of Ephesians. For the next several months, we're going to be in this book of Ephesians. And I, I hope you bring your Bibles. I hope you keep your Bibles open. You'll get so much more out of the study as we, as, if you have your Bibles open. Verse 4, I want you to notice what he says. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Here it says, you see it? It says that we are chosen in him before the creation, before the foundation of the world. We are chosen, elected by God in his forever family. Now, there is a great debate going on in our denomination right now over this very verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. A great debate that, that's concerning this verse. The debate is this, did God choose us for salvation or did we through free will make a choice to be saved? Did God choose us or did we by our own volition choose him? You see the point? You see the question? You see the, 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 the split? Did God choose us or did we choose him? You say, preacher, where do you fall on the equation? Did God choose us or did, did we choose him? My answer to that question is one word, yes. Yes. Yes, we are predestined. And yes, there was a time in my life by my own volition where I received Christ. The Bible says that God elects. But we also see that in the scripture, the Bible says over and over again, not once, not twice, but a multitude of times, whosoever will may come. That Christ died for the whole world and everyone has the opportunity to be saved. The basic verse that we all learn as children, if we, if you went to vacation Bible school, John 3, 16, for God so loved the elect. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, the question here is between Calvinism and Arminianism. The Calvinists, what they bring to the table and what's good that the Calvinists bring to the table is they remind us of the sovereignty of God. That salvation does not begin with me. That salvation begins with God. That's important. What the Armenians bring to the table, however, is a, 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 a desire to take this, the, the desire, the understanding of the free will, and to take this and to share it with those who need to hear it. Now, understand this. I don't have all of this figured out. And I, I submit to you that I am very cautious of anyone who says they have all of this figured out. If any person thinks that they can come to salvation and define it in five points, they, they're wrong. You, you, there are some things about Scripture that, that, that we, we, we just don't know about. It's divided. Calvinism and Arminianism. People ask me, Pastor, are you a Calvinist or are you Armenian? My answer is neither. I'm a Christian. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Now listen, there are some things that are taught in Scripture that we're never, this side of heaven, ever going to know. We're never fully going to understand this. This topic is one of those issues you see, when I read Scripture, I, I see election and predestination of God right here beside the free will of man. This, this boggles our finite minds. Brother Joe Boatwright, our pastor emeritus, he says this so often. He says it so eloquently, and it's so true. He said, when we get to heaven, those of us that are Christians, when we get to heaven, we're going to walk through the door into heaven, and above the door it's going to say, uh, for whosoever will may come. And when we're going to step through that door and we're going to look on the backside of that door, it's going to say, you were chosen for the foundation of the world. This, this is the quandary of Scripture, and we try to wrap our minds around it, but we cannot fully understand this. This doesn't make sense. But know this. 
as much as some want to make free will of man and the sovereignty of God enemies, Adrian Rogers used to say that they are not foes, they're friends. They're not adversaries, they're allies. And what I see going on within our own denomination, within our own churches today, you have these two, these two sides and they're taking these sides and they're battling and they're hitting one another while the world outside is lost and going to hell. If we take what we believe and we take it and we put it toward the right way, God will use it every single time. But as I said again, be very cautious of someone who says, hey, I've got all of this figured out. It it makes logical sense. It may make logical sense, but it may not make biblical sense. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British preacher, he used to say, if if you try to doubt this, that, that God is sovereign and that man has free will, he said, you'll lose your faith. He said, but if you try to figure it out, you'll lose your mind. (laughs) You can truly drive yourself crazy, drive yourself batty trying to figure all this out. You say, well, pastor, does it not concern you that there are things about your faith that you can't figure out? Well, absolutely not. If I could be honest with you, I don't think I would want a God that I could completely figure out. If I could completely figure out God, then my God is too small. And that goes beyond God to his greatest gift, to his greatest creation, salvation. If I could fully wrap my mind around salvation, then that salvation is not enough. So there are certain things, certain mysteries that we find in Scripture. You see, I want a God that is so big that I can study him every day of my life and I can step into eternity. And even in eternity, I find every single day, I find something else new about our God. That's how big our God is. There's some truths so deep, so profound, so wondrous that it'll take us an eternity to comprehend them. Let me show you what I mean. We have this verse on the screen, John chapter 1, verse 12. Jesus says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, that's the human side. That's the free will side. This is the free will of faith. As many as received him. As many as put their faith, they, they, on their own volition, they put their faith in Jesus. Those have become the children of God. But in the next breath of Scripture, verse 13, it says, Who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There's the will of God. We've been chosen by God, but yet in somehow in part of God's economy, we choose Him. The text is not saying that God has chosen some for heaven and others for hell. In fact, what this text is telling us is that what he foreordained, what he foreknew, what what he predestined was before the foundation of the world that God ordained salvation to be through Christ. That's what this verse is saying. You say, well, preacher, if God foreknew who was going to be saved, then did he not cause every person to be saved? Therefore, he would cause others to go to hell? Well, absolutely not. We should not see foreknowledge. Now, put on your thinking caps here with me. You cannot take foreknowledge and equate foreknowledge with choosing. Foreknowledge and election, two different things. Let me give you an example. This is an earthly example, but still it it shows us that just because you know something is going to happen does not mean that you cause it to happen. There was a man by the name of Haley. He studied a comet. He realized that if, as he studied this comet, he could predict the very day it was going to happen. He, he, he knew, he, he, he knew this comet was going to appear. 
Did that mean that he made it appear just because he foreknew it? Because he saw it in the future? Did he make it appear? Well, absolutely not. Just because you foreknow something does not equate to you causing something to happen. Now that I have everybody completely confused about what we're talking about, there are some in here, and, and you're a part of this debate, and, and, and you like this, but, but the vast majority, I'm glad that you have no idea what Calvinism or Arminianism is. I, I, I'm glad for that. Here's the one truth that we can pull out of this text. Here is what we can take to the bank and deposit and know for sure about salvation. It's this. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Here's what else I know. That while we may not be able to reconcile the, the uh, God's choosing and election and foreknowledge with, with the free will of man, these, these two theological truths, we do know that in verse 5 it says that, that when, when we are loved, he adopts us into his family. Always in Scripture, always in Scripture, election always looks backward to foreknowledge. Predestination always looks forward to your destiny. So what's our destiny? God tells us again right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, what is it that he destined for those who came to faith in Christ? What was it he destined for our future? Well, it's to be his child, to be his child, to be adopted into his family. The scripture says here in Ephesians chapter 1 that when you come into the family of God, you've been adopted into his family. Perhaps you're here today and, and, and you are an adoptive parent or you have been adopted as, as yourself. And, and if you're an adoptive parent... Maybe you told your, your child that you adopted. You know, other parents gave birth to their children and they couldn't choose what they got. They just got what came. But you know what, honey? Your mom and dad loved you so much. We walked into that home and we saw you and we chose you. That's how much you're loved. Not every child in this world gets to be chosen. You're chosen. You're adopted into our family. You are ours. And that's what God says to us. God says to each one of us, I chose you. You're that. That's how much I love you. And you're a part of my family. You're adopted into my family. Now, if God predestines something, do you think it's going to happen? That's not a rhetorical question. Talk to me. If God said, I'm going to do something, is it going to happen? There we go. There we go. Sure it is. And listen, God predestined you and me, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, to be like Christ. That's what our destiny is to be. When we talk about predestination, Romans 8, 29 gives us what predestination is all about. He predestined those of us who are saved to be like Christ. That's what predestination is. It's what God does. You know, it's been hot here in Florida, hasn't it? I'm sweating right now because the, the baptistry, I always kid with the people that we're going to baptize. I always stick my foot in. I say, oh, that's cold. And it's just funny to turn around and see all of the, the people. They, they're already terrified to be in the baptistry. They go, Ooh. I say, no, I'm kidding. It's really warm. But after I baptize, I come out of the hot water and I come on a hot stage and I just sweat profusely. And it's been really hot here in Florida lately, hasn't it? 88, 90 degrees. Well, I heard about this guy. He came to Florida on a business trip recently. He came early, and his wife was planning to come down for an extended weekend and, and, and join him here in Florida. And so he got down here. He took care of his business. And, and by the end of the day, he, he finally finished all that he was going to do. He's preparing for his wife to come down, and he sat down on his laptop. And he decided to send his wife an email. 
He was looking so forward to, to seeing his wife that as he, uh, as he was typing out the email in, in the, uh, address to the email, he, he missed one letter in her email address and it, his email that he sent, his letter he sent went to the wrong person. Well, the person that got his email was an elderly pastor's wife whose husband had just died the day before. So here's this businessman in Florida. He sends this email off to who he thought was his wife. And here's this woman in Tennessee who is an elderly woman in her mid-80s whose husband was a pastor and, and he just literally died the day before. She heard on her phone, ding, this is, she was an 88 year old technologically savvy woman. She had an iPhone. And so her iPhone dinged. And this woman, she, she hit the, the mail button and she, she read what this man sent and she, she shrieked. She, she screamed and she fainted. Her kids that were in the house, they, they came running in. They, they wanted to check on, on, on what was going on and they, they couldn't figure out. Here was their mom laying in the floor and they picked up the phone. They realized why she passed out. He read the email. The, the kids that read their email, it said, Dear sweetheart, I just got checked in. Everything is ready for your arrival tomorrow. Signed your eternally loving husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) Who says you can't have fun in church? (laughs) But you know, that was a sure thing. Heaven and hell are, are sure things. And we're going to get into Ephesians. When we get into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we're, we're going to see that, that heaven is a sure thing for the believer, that as, as followers of Christ, the greatest wonder of the world is that God would save a, a person like me and then promise me that, that I can be a certain, I can be sure of this place called heaven. Why? Not because of something I've done, but because I've been chosen. I've been adopted into his family. The third wonder we see here is that we're loved in Christ, abundantly loved in Christ. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, remember I said this, there's, there are no periods in this. This is just one long sentence. And so in, in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1, he says, without blame before him in love. You know, when you, you have never looked at a person's face, all the faces, think about all the people that you've met in your life, all the faces, all the eyes you've looked in, you have never looked into the eyes of another human being that God didn't love. That's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? You've never seen a person that God did not continually and, and con- completely love. He said, I love you with an everlasting love. And you know what that means? That means when you look in the mirror... When you look at yourself, you can affirm the fact that Jesus loves you too. He cares for you intimately. He cares for you eternally. In John chapter 17, verse 23, we find an amazing verse. Jesus is praying and he says, Lord, that we may be one with them, that you may love them even as you love me. Wow. Isn't that something? Jesus, the creator of the universe, talking to his father, God, and said, the way we love each other, that's how we love everyone. No wonder when Christians write these amazing songs that we sing, it's not just grace that we sing about, it's amazing grace. 
It's not just love. It's amazing love. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because God loves us. That's good. I wish I came up with that myself, but I didn't. You may want to write that one down. God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loves us. That's one of the greatest truths you'll ever hear in the, in, outside of Scripture. Now I'm speaking to some this morning, you don't feel loved. Maybe there's a time in your life as a child when you were told that, 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 that you understood God's love for you. Maybe you sang it in Sunday school, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And just as a small child or a student, you, you gave your life over and you, you prayed and received Christ into your life and you believed that God loved you. But the blows, the pressures of this life, the storms of this life have beat you down and you're wondering, does God still love me? You've made some mistakes. You, you've maybe failed in, in some areas of your life. You've broken God's commandments. You've, you've made some poor choices. And, and now you're thinking, I don't know if God loves me. Or maybe you're thinking, if God still does love me, does he still love me with the same fervency as he did when I was a small child? And you wonder, does God even care about me? Let me tell you that Jesus loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do, listen to me, there's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. He loves you. He loves you. His very nature is to love. You say, well, how in the world do we know that? How do you know that to be true, preacher? Well, number one, he told us. And if he told us something, we should receive it, right? If he said it, it should settle it. God never lies. He loves us with an abundant love. But number two, not only did he tell us, not only did he say it, but he demonstrated it, right? What does Romans 5, 8 say? That God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. You see, not only did he say it, but he showed it. He backed it up. He said, I'm not just going to tell you I love you. I'm not going to just, just tell you, but I'm going to show you how much I love you. I don't know who you are or what you're going through right now. But I want you to know that he loves you. In Christ, I am loved. Next, we can say the next wonder. Not only are we blessed in Christ, chosen, loved, but we are also accepted in Christ. The Bible says here, look at it. Verse 6, we are blessed in the beloved. Now, what or who is the beloved? Well, that's Jesus. Remember at his baptism, God spoke from heaven. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's why that word beloved in your Bible is capitalized. That's referring to Jesus. That's another in Jesus statement in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. This is our acceptance in Jesus. This is that we are accepted in Christ. We are accepted in the beloved. Now, I don't want to become psychological here. I don't want to be Dr. Oz, okay? But I just want to say this morning that I know that there are some here today and you've never felt accepted in life. You've never felt approved. Maybe you grew up in a home where your parents never really approved of you. Or you never really felt accepted for whatever reason. You know, that's my story. I love my parents. But I can count on one hand the number of times I've heard my father say, I love you. You know, growing up, maybe your dad was demanding and cold and impersonal. 
Maybe your dad was never at home. Maybe, maybe you've walked through life and the approval that you needed from your father or your mother or your family, you, you never got it. You never sensed it. And understand all of us, it's human nature. It's human nature to be accepted. We, we want to be accepted. No one wants to be ostracized. No one wants to be demeaned. Nobody wants to be demoralized. Everyone has this desire. It's part of who we are to be accepted, to be affirmed. And so if you don't get it at home, that's where God designed it to happen. You see, I may not received it, but I'm changing the tide. And I've made a commitment. Abigail, Elijah, and my beautiful wife, Sarah, Every single day I tell them I love them. I want them to know every day that their husband or father loves them. Because they need that. God designed the home. Men, God designed us to be the leaders of the home and to, re- and, and to be the Christ to our home, to our wife and to our kids. How did, how did Jesus love the church? Well, he loved her. You say, well, I can love without showing it. I can love without saying it. How is that possible? How is that possible? So you know what happens? If, if we don't get affirmed in home where God designed it to happen, if we don't get accepted in our house, we, being human beings, have to have that. We, we, we need that. We need to be accepted. We need to be affirmed. And so if we don't get it where God designed it to happen, we go somewhere else to try to find it. Sports, girls, guys, sexual relations, drugs, alcohol. Some even go to religion and they, 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 try, to, they, they, they try to let religion fill the void. But listen. The only place you're going to ever find true acceptance is with God. It's the only place. You know, I believe that we ought to live holy and godly lives, and the Scripture teaches that. But God God doesn't change us in order to accept us. He accepts us in order to change us. That's another one of those neat statements I wish that I came up with, but I didn't. That's another important statement you, you might want to write down. God doesn't change us in order to accept us. He accepts us in order to change us. You see, that's why it, when, when we give an altar call, we give an invitation, a time of response, and, and I've heard this time and time again. People say, well, I, I can't come to Jesus right now. I've got to get all my, my things right in my life. That's backwards. That's backwards. God doesn't say you need to change and then I'll accept you. That's not how it works. You can't do that. You come to him just as you are, as the old hymn says, just as I am. I come, and and then when I come to him, he changes. He accepts us in the beloved. One Christian author put it this way, God accepts me, and that's grace. When I accept the fact that God accepts me in Christ, that's faith. Now, listen, this, this gets repetitive in just a moment, so listen. When God accepts me, that's grace. When I accept that God accepts me, that's faith. And because God accepts me, And because I accept that God accepts me, now I can accept me. And that's called peace, contentment. Christian, this is perhaps the greatest truth you'll ever learn. Now listen to me. Christian, God accepts you. And because of that, you need to accept that fact. That's a truth. That's a truism. God accepts you. That is true. And you need to accept it. 
And when you accept the fact that God loves you and God accepts you, when you accept that, you're going to have peace. You're going to have peace. God created you just the way you are. He didn't mess up. I wonder if Moses thought, God, when you created me, you know, how did Moses talk? He spoke with a stutter, didn't he? Moses was a stutterer. When Moses was created and he began, when God said, I want you to go and I want you to tell Pharaoh, I wonder if Moses said, God, when you were handing out voice boxes, did you mess mine up? God said, no. Remember Zacchaeus, the the tax collector? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed his way, you know who I'm talking about? Here's this little man. He's, He's a little short man. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Here's this little short guy, and I wonder when Zacchaeus, when he came to know Christ, I wonder if he looked up to God and said, God, when when you're handing out tallness, did you run out with me or something? What happened? And God said, no, Zacchaeus, I created you special. I created you unique. You know, when God creates us, he creates us with a purpose. God created you to be you. He didn't mess up. He created you unique. He he created some of us tall. He created some of us short. He created some of us with long hair. He created some of us with no hair. He created some of us skinny. He created some of us more rounded. But he created you unique. And he loves you just the way you are. And because of that, you need to stop trying to be somebody else. God created you uniquely for you. He created you a key to go into a hole that only you can unlock. He created you special. He created you special. And he said, you can only do this. No other person that I created can do this one thing. And I created you with this purpose in mind. And so many of us, listen, I I see this so often. I saw it just this past week. So many Christians are bitter. You know why? Because of something that has happened in their life. They don't realize that God has accepted them. Or if they realize that God accepted them, they, they, they don't accept the fact that God has accepted them. And because of that, they don't have peace. Instead, they have bitterness. And if that's how you live your life, if you think that somehow you're flawed, that that you were dealt a a wrong hand, that when God was giving out the tallness gene, you missed out, and and because of that, you're angry at God, you're, you're bitter to God. When that happens, you see a flaw. If you think that you have a flaw in yourself, then what you're going to do is you're going to try to find the flaw in other people. You're never going to be happy, and you're never going to let anybody else be happy. This is so important, Christian. Because if you don't have this, you don't have peace. But when you accept this truth, when you accept that you're not a mistake, 
when you accept the fact that he created you with an intention and a purpose in mind. No, you're not like this person. And no, you don't look like her. No, you may not be this person or can do this or do that. But you can do something that nobody else can do. Find what that is and do it. And when you do it, when you do it, understand who you are in Christ. And when you have peace, listen, when you have peace with yourself, when, when you have that relationship and you and God have this going on and, and you say, okay, God, you accept me and I accept the fact that you accept me. Now you know what you can do. Now you love yourself. And when you love yourself, you can love others. But until you learn to love yourself, you're never truly going to love others. The final thing we see, and we'll close with this, We don't have time to preach through it, but it is that we are forgiven in Christ. It's the final wonder, Ephesians 1, 7. In him or in Christ, there's another in him statement. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins.